series called Come to the Table. Come to the Table. And uh, I've been saying for the last couple messages that, that have been in this series that I believe we need to return to the table. And if you look at history, in particular biblical history, you'll find that the table actually plays a very important role in the church life, in biblical culture. In fact, listen to this, the very first commandment God ever gave was to eat. You know that? Genesis chapter 2, the very first commandment he ever gave was to eat. Now listen, that should make somebody happy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that guy thought, wow, that's a pretty good commandment. God said eat. I'm like, you know, eating cereal. My wife's like, honey, do you really need cereal at 10 o'clock at night? The Lord said to eat. And I am going to eat, right? Because if I ever see Captain Crunch, buy one, get one free, I'm in trouble. You understand? I like me some Captain Crunch. And so um, I know we got 21 days of fasting and prayer coming up. So I just thought I'd load the hump until we get to that. But but there is, a, there is something very spiritual about the table. And so we've been talking throughout this series about restoring the table. And the first message that I gave talked about restoring the family table. And I read statistics, and you can go back to our podcast and, and catch this message, on, on what happens to children and, and families when the, the dinner table is established and when it's not, and you'll see the statistics and the effect that it has on kids and teenagers and, and who come together at a table. And so we talked about establishing the family table and, and setting a goal to eating four to five nights a week as a family and, and making that a goal. And I understand you're busy. You're busier than you've ever been. But you know what? Sometimes we need to reevaluate our calendars and our schedules and learn how to come together and eat as a family. And then the next message in this series, we talked about the community table where we learn as brothers and sisters in Christ to eat together. And we have our connect groups and, and a lot of them are, are gathered around food. And you understand that, that we can enjoy each other's company. And this is what the early church did in Acts chapter 2 the Bible says they ate together every day, every day, not once a week, not once a month, not every church picnic. They actually gathered, they devoted themselves every day, daily. They met in the temple and from house to house eating together. And so this was the pattern of the early church. They learned how to get together. That's how you get to know each other. Because you sit across from each other at a meal. It's a very spiritual thing to actually sit down and have a meal with somebody. Today I want to talk to you about a, a different kind of table. I want to talk to you today about the mission table. The mission table. It was Herod Bosley who said this. He said, if you're not a missionary, you need one. Did you hear me now? I read that statement this week and I thought, that'll... That'll preach. If you're not a missionary, you need one. And so we have to really begin to, to understand the importance, especially at this time of year, when people are dealing with struggling with depression and dealing with anxieties and all these different fears, we have to learn how to establish the mission table, the mission table. Luke chapter number five, if you're there, tells the story of one of Jesus's disciples the Bible actually refers to him as Levi, but we know him as Matthew. 
And it says that he was a tax collector and Jesus walking along saw him sitting at a table and called to him. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter five. He called to leave. I said, come on, you follow me. And verse 28 says, so he left all. This is speaking of of Levi who's called Matthew. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Listen to verse 29. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now I've addressed this before, but let me just address it again. There is a lot of uh, popular popular songs, there's a book out there talking about Jesus being a friend of sinners. The Bible actually says that that was a title given to him by the Pharisees at this particular moment. And, And it goes on to say in different gospels that they called John the Baptist uh, demon possessed. They said that Jesus is a drunkard and they said that he's a friend of sinners. Now we know John the Baptist was not demon possessed. Jesus was not a drunkard, nor was he a friend of sinners. He was friendly to sinners, right? His best friends, the Bible says his best friends were his disciples. But that did not stop him from sitting down at a table and sharing a meal with sinners. But the focus of what I want to show you this morning is this guy named Matthew, the moment, watch this, the very next verse, which means that the moment he changed direction in life and followed after Jesus, the very next verse is the Bible says, and he called everyone together and said, why don't you come to my house? Let's eat together. I want to introduce you to this man who now has changed my life. He called everybody together for a great feast. Immediately, like the first thing, he didn't go through discovery one, discovery two, come on now, discovery three, equip classes, say, well, I'm a connect group leader, I'll attend church. When I get the fundamentals down, when I figure out the ABCs of salvation, when I figure out whether I'm post-trib, pre-trib, or mid-trib, the very first thing he did is said, listen, I don't know a lot about this whole Jesus stuff. All I know is this, is I feel compelled to follow him, and so I'm going to cook a big dinner, get everybody together, I'm going to invite you guys over to my house, I want to introduce you to this guy named Jesus. Hallelujah. And I could just see, here he is coming, and people are coming to, to the door and saying, hey, come on in, welcome. Here's, here's a man I want to introduce you to. This is Jesus. And then he's taking Jesus and giving, Jesus, this is my friend here, and Jesus, this is this guy. He's just introducing everybody because something compelled him, right? Something just compelled him. There was just something in his heart and in his mind to say, hey, I want, I want everybody to know this guy. Listen, he's worth knowing. Hallelujah. And if somebody has touched your heart to such a degree that it touched Matthew's heart, then we should have the same response. I want to introduce all of my friends to this person who changed my life. Hallelujah. And so Matthew said, hey, come on. See, this is what we need to, to establish in our life, this, this, this desire for people to meet the person who changed our life. Amen? There, there's a book out there by a woman named 
Rosario Butterfield. And the book is, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. That's the name of the book. And, and she wrote this book because Rosario tells her testimony. She says, I was a member of the LBGT community. And I noticed that in that community, there was a sense of family. She said, in the LBGT community, there was a house open every night. Somebody's house was open every night. And we would gather together and we would have meals together. And we just had this sense of family. And as a member of that community, a, a ways away from God, not living a Christian lifestyle, not interested at all, she was invited to dinner by a minister. A minister and his wife said, hey, why don't you come over and have dinner? And she said that while we were having dinner, two things never happened at that dinner. He never invited me to his church. And the second thing was, is he never presented the gospel to me. He just invited me over the house for a meal. But it was that meal that would change my life because I found somebody very welcoming, very friendly, very open, very honest. And I thought this is worth investigating. And so she began to search out this Jesus person. And she found Jesus to be very loving, very welcoming, very open, right? And she changed her whole life. She began to to live a different lifestyle. She became a Christian And she wrote this book about the gospel having a house key. And she talked about hospitality and being welcoming and being neighboring. Do you know that if you Google these words, watch this. If you Google the words, why are Christians so? That in the list of of websites and different suggestions that are given to you, you'll find the words judgmental, intolerant, hypocritical, mean, and angry. What you won't find if you Google, why are Christians so? What you won't find is you won't find loving, you won't find compassionate, you won't find caring, you won't find any of those words. Now, I understand that that there's a media-driven society that has an agenda, and their agenda is to paint Christians as being hypocritical and and judgmental and, and unloving and intolerant. I get that, but we have not done a very good job of changing the narrative, right? And so we have to learn how to go, no, 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 it's not that. It's not that. And what she found when she met these ministers is she's found people that were very open and welcoming and loving and it created a hunger inside of her and her life was literally changed from one meal, one meal. And she said this, and I thought it was a great quote. She said, hospitality, biblically speaking, takes strangers and makes them neighbors, right? And takes neighbors and makes them family, right? Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 was asked a question by a lawyer. And the lawyer said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response was, you probably know it. Hey, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love God with everything that you got. And then Jesus said this, and the second commandment is just like it. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? 
And that word neighbor doesn't, doesn't just mean proximity. Because some of you are going, well, I live on five acres. I'm excluded. No, 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 no. Right? No, it, it has nothing to do with proximity, although it includes proximity. It includes the person next door and across the street and two doors down. It includes them, but it's not limited to them. For some of you, your neighbors are your coworkers. It's whoever God brings into your life. Did you hear me? It's whoever God brings into your life. Guess what? That is your neighbor. And when Jesus said, love your neighbor, I don't think he meant, hey, just mow an extra strip of grass. Come on now. Just mow an extra strip of grass just to be kind of friendly. I don't think he meant just every now and then bring in their garbage can. I think there's more to it, loving thy neighbor, than to just not being a bother to the person next to you, not playing loud music, huh? It's more to it than that. There's more to this love thy neighbor thing than that. Because it's real easy. My wife and I, we found ourselves doing it. We live in a gated community, you know, and you can get into these gated communities and it's very easy to hit your garage door button, drive right into your garage and then close the garage door and the world just sealed off from you. And every now and then you'll wave and you'll say, hey, because I figured this, listen, when it comes to this series, I'm preaching to myself first. God's been speaking to me about this stuff. And I figured if it's for me, you guys get it too. So sorry about that, but you guys are stuck with what I'm getting from God, all right? So, so God's been dealing with me about this neighbor stuff, this neighbor stuff, and having a mission table, having a mission table, learning how to present the gospel in a whole different way, in a whole different way, one that is loving, one that is caring, one that is open. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, the Bible says, called together the multitudes and began to have compassion on them. And the Bible says this, watch this, Matthew chapter 14, he actually healed their sick. And the Bible says the disciples got together and they said to Jesus, hey, it's getting dark. And watch what they said to Jesus, Matthew chapter 14. They said, send them away. Send them away. Let me just tell you, I've had that attitude in my life too. I've had that attitude. Where I've walked by people, I have thought to myself, no, I don't have time. I, don't, I can't get involved in this. I, I mean, somebody else is going to have to do it. It's not me. And in my heart and my mind, even though I didn't say it with my mouth, I have acted the same way. Send them away. But watch Jesus' response. What was his response? Jesus' response was, no, you give them something to eat. And let me tell you what Jesus was doing here. It wasn't just a one-time act. I don't believe for a moment this was about feeding 5,000 people on on a Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't think it was about that at all, right? I don't think it was about one meal at all. I don't think it was about even performing a miracle and and multiplying food. I think Jesus was setting up his disciples. I really do. Because I think he knew, in fact, I know he knew he's leaving. I'm going to be gone. I'm only here for a little while. And guess what? When I'm gone, you're going to have to have a heart for these people. 
And one day, Peter, who watched the five loaves and the fish begin to be multiplied and heard Jesus say, Peter, don't you pass these people by. You give them something to eat. One day, Peter was walking by a gate in Acts chapter 5, and he said, hey, listen, there's a guy here lame, but guess what? I don't have gold to give him. I don't even have bread or, or fish to give him. But I know this. My heart is touched. I will not pass him by without giving him something that he needs. And he grabbed this man up and said, in the name of Jesus, you rise up and you walk. Why? Because his heart had been touched. Really? That's what it is. Peter's heart was touched. And Jesus was setting up his disciples and he was teaching them. This isn't a one-time thing, guys. I want you to continually begin to tell yourself, I was created to meet a need. I was created. John MacArthur said, For some people, you are the only Bible they will ever read. The Apostle Paul said it. We are living epistles, read of all men. They're reading us. Instead of being judgmental and and uncaring and, and intolerant and unloving, we have to learn to be the gospel. And not just invite them to church. Hey, that's good. I Listen, I'm the pastor. Invite, please, please invite them to church. But more importantly, be the church, right? More importantly, be the church. That's what's important. I want to talk to you about three barriers to overcome. Can I give you three barriers to overcome? Three barriers to overcome when it comes to hospitality. And the first one is fear. You have to overcome fear. Fear of the unknown. You go, well, listen, we're just, we're not those kind of people. We don't have people over our house. Okay, listen, Cynthia and I, we're not that way anyway. We're not that way. We, that's not our MO. That's not, that's not us. We don't just think of ways to get people to come to our house. and Let's play board games. That's not us, all right? We're not those kind of people. And so, so I understand that, that for some people, bringing people into your home, it's, it's, it's unusual for you. But guess what? Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Overcome that fear. You say, well, pastor, what if they ask me a question that I don't have the answer to? I'm going to give you what to do. All right, you ready? Here's what you do. You look them in the eye. You say, you know what? I have no idea. Just say it. Just say, I have no idea. I, did Adam have a belly button? I have no idea. What happened to that third monkey on the ark? I don't know. He probably died. He's dead. He didn't make it. Poor little monkey. He didn't, didn't, didn't work out for him. And I don't know what the seven bowls and seven candlesticks, I don't know what that means. I used to know what that means. Actually, it has left my life. I did not retain any of that. But I know this. I know when my marriage was falling apart, God helped put it back together. I know this. When I was eight years old, I surrendered my life to God and he changed my life. I know this. I have friends that were strung out on drugs And they were bound by alcohol and God totally set them free. Listen, there's a lot that I don't know, but I can tell you, here's what I do know. So listen, don't be afraid if they ask you questions. Listen, invite them into their home. My greatest fear is if they bring hummus. I thought, if they bring hummus, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to eat it. Bring a black-eyed peas to my house. I'm thinking, they brought devil food into my house. But guess what? You just do it anyway. The second thing you need to overcome is you need to overcome inconvenience because it's inconvenient. It's just sometimes it's inconvenient. 
I would rather, let me tell you, this is just me personally. I would rather stay home and do nothing every night of the week. That's just me. It's like you've seen that thing where it says my childhood punishments are my adult goals. Go to bed. You can't go to that party. Stay in your room. I'm like, woo, go to bed. You know what I'm saying? Especially with this time change, man. I'm like going to bed at 7.30 at night. See you, Cynthia. I'm gone, man. 7.30 at night, I'm out. I'm done. You know? So I understand it's inconvenient to have people come over your house. We're, we're not like super fancy and we don't have like matching this and that. And, we, you know, I mean, you come over our house, it is what it is. I mean, you're going to get Chinette and you're going to get some plastic. I mean, that's just what you're going to get. But guess what? We have decided that it's worth it. And it is an inconvenience. And if we're too busy to reach out, guess what? We're too busy. And so we're not going to fill our nights with, with all these different activities and, and just running around because we're so busy. And let me tell you, especially this time of year, no, we're not going to do it. You've noticed our church calendar? We wipe it clean. We got like a little, you know, we got a little Christmas Eve service. We don't have all these different things we're trying to get you to run around and do. I know you're busy enough, but let me tell you, if you're too busy to bring somebody into your home and show them what true Christianity is, you are too busy. And it is an inconvenience, huh? And and it is not, not easy trying to get people to come to your house, but it's so worth it. Let me tell you, fear and inconvenience are easy to overcome. I could teach you how to overcome. The third one, I can't teach you, but I can talk about it. The third one is by far the most important, and it's the root of every one, and that is indifference. It's indifference. And what I find by people, and this was me, let me tell you, I'm pointing the finger at me today. What I find in people is it's probably not really fear to, to invite somebody. And I'm not talking about, they don't have to go into your house, whether it's you sitting having a cup of coffee at, at, at Dunkin' Donuts, not Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, you having a cup of coffee or, or you going out to a restaurant or you just getting together for whatever What I find is it's not usually fear and it's not usually inconvenience because we make up a lot of excuses that we're too busy. Usually the biggest challenge, the biggest obstacle we face is called indifference. That's when we walk by the guy laying at the gate and we could say we're scared or we could say we don't have time, but the truth is it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Dr. Leonard Sweet said this. He said, I used to think that lost hospitality or a lack of hospitality is a lost art, right? Hospitality was a lost art. He said, now I believe it's a lost heart. It's a lost heart. And so the truth is, is that if we find ourselves unwilling to invite people for some reason into our world, right? Then we have to check our heart because it's not a schedule issue. You make time for the things that are important. I'm gonna say that again. I said, you make time for the things that are important. It's not a scheduling issue. 
It's not a fear issue. Usually, how hard is it to have a meal with somebody? It's not hard at all. I can do that. In fact, I'm available, just so you know. I'm just, I'm available. But you know what it is? Above all else, it's indifference. It's a heart issue. It's not a lost heart. It's a lost heart. And so what God has been speaking to me about is how do I reach out to my neighbor? Because for far too long, I have waved. I've said, hey, and different things. Now for you, it may not be your neighbor. It may be a coworker. All my coworkers are saved. As far as I know, they go to church here. So I can't reach out to them, but I have neighbors. For you, it might be a coworker. It might be a neighbor. It might be something else. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to give you an assignment. First, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You're going to get an assignment today. Let me tell you, this assignment right now comes with an understanding. I can talk to you about fear. I can talk to you about inconvenience. But really, it's the Holy Spirit's job. It really is his job to touch your heart. But can I remind you of something today? Can I remind you of something? Can I remind you that that coworker, the neighbor, that if we don't reach out, they may slip into eternity. I said eternity. Eternity. Lost and away from God. And we had the opportunity to extend an invitation. And if that doesn't shake you from your indifference, I don't know what will. What I want in my life is a fresh glimpse of heaven and hell. That there is a heaven to gain. But listen to me, church, listen to me. There is a hell to shun. If I have it within my power to do something, I can't do everything, but I can do something. I can be something. I can extend an invitation. If I have it with my power to do that, I need to do it. So here's my assignment to you with your head bowed and eyes closed. I believe right now, because I've been praying for this service, I believe right now God's going to deposit somebody into your heart. Somebody. Most of you probably already know who it is because they've already been on your heart. It is that coworker. It's that family member that you almost never see. Oh, you saw them at Thanksgiving and you'll see them at Christmas and then you won't see them again till the next Thanksgiving, the next Christmas. It is that coworker. You say, well, pastor, they're lost. Good. I want to be like Matthew. I've met this guy named Jesus. Now, would you come to my house? I want you to meet him too. Come to my house. And the Bible says all sorts of tax collectors and sinners were gathered there. Jesus walked right in. 
We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know what happened to those people who walked in that, to that dinner that night. But I have to believe that somebody walked out of that change besides Matthew. I have to believe that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me ask you today. How is your heart? Have you let your schedule, have you let the unwillingness to be inconvenienced, have you let fear and indifference allow calluses to develop to where you walk right by without giving a second thought to their eternal destination? Let me pray for you. I'm gonna pray for myself as well. Would you do this today? I know this is a different way to end our service, but would you do this today? Would you take your hand and play it? Just place it on your heart. If it's within my power to do it, I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. I don't that. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it some way, somehow. We're going to do it. We decided that a while back. We're going to invite people into our home. We've been doing that. We're inviting these couples into our home. We're going to do it. It's not convenient. It means less, less time when I could just sit down and do nothing. I cherish those moments. But guess what? I've only got so many years left to live. And I don't know how many are left. But while I'm here, I want to make a difference. I certainly do. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every male, female in this place, for every individual, for every couple, for every teenager, for every person from every different ethnicity, different background, different culture. Lord, for those who grew up in a very loving, very stable environment, and for those who came from just terrible situations, Lord, the one thing we have in common is, God, you have touched our heart. You've touched our heart. And if we've allowed anything, indifference, to build calluses and walls and barriers, and we've stopped reaching out, Lord, I pray that those walls would come down today in Jesus' name. Lord, would you deposit somebody's face right into my life right now? Would you just make a deposit of, of a name, a face, an individual, a coworker, a neighbor? Come on, now, I could see, I could see who God's deposit. I see it. I see them. Who is God depositing in your life right now? Who is it? Let's pray for them. Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, let a door open that I could reach out. You didn't give me a home. You didn't give me a house. You didn't give me a home just to hoard to myself. You really gave it to me as a gathering place. And so, Father, we want to make that our goal today. In Jesus' name.